all authors, I'm Joanne Morell, children's and young adult fiction writer and author of Short Nonfiction for Authors. Thanks for joining me for the Hybrid Author Podcast, sharing interviews from industry professionals to help you forge a career as a hybrid author, both independently and traditionally publishing your books. You can get the show notes for each episode and sign up for your free author pass over at the Hybrid Author website to discover your writing process, get tips on how to publish productively, and get comfortable promoting your books at www.hybridauthor.com.au. Let's crack on with the episode. Hello, authors. I hope you're all keeping well in whatever part of the world you reside and listen to the podcast in. Today's interview is with Peter Quarry, a multi-award winning psychologist whose 1,000 plus video-based training programs are used by companies, universities, and organizations in over 20 countries. Today, Peter's putting himself on the couch to talk about his debut release, If I Were You, a fascinating and original book where Peter skillfully deconstructs his own life, showing how you too can unpack and reboot yours. And Peter and I discuss the benefits of reflective writing, making peace with your past, as well as re-energizing and being positive about the future, as well as Peter's debut author adventure and his marketing tips for authors. So in my author adventure this past week, you might not be surprised, but I did not uh, finish my horror feature script to get it into the Screencraft writing competition, which uh, was Monday the 31st of October, unfortunately. I had that whole weekend, and if I'd really knuckled down, there might have been a possibility. And when I say knuckled down, I mean that's all I would have been doing, glued to the computer for the whole weekend. I had a family, friends, Halloween party which I was really looking forward to and we had another do on the Sunday. I had a, yeah, I had a another thing on Sunday and I just, yeah, I thought I can either pump this thing out over the weekend. I just knew it wasn't, wasn't going to be feasible with the other things that I had planned and I have just been feeling lately that I need to I just need to be more, I need some sort of socialization, a bit more feeling a bit claustrophobic, you know, working in front of a computer all the time. And it was a decision that I made and I'm quite happy about it. As in, I can look to next year knowing that this project started and it will get finished and and I'll still probably tinker with it, I think. But it was more a case of there's been a few things I've taken on this month. It's, it's kind of like, oh, it's October. Oh, you know, I've always wanted to do this. Oh, I should do this and it's it's, it's, a, it's a rush to get it done because the end of the month's coming but not taking not always taking into account all the other things that I have going on that actually need my attention in this month so I was I, I in the inkling in the back of my mind I knew that these things probably wouldn't eventuate but I'd give them a good crack and had to let them go anyway as you've heard in past episodes uh, but it, it absolutely is what it is at least I've made a start and it was a progression it's been a progression so the two webinars that well the one of the webinars for October that I planned to do but let go because it was too much have, I'm actually showcasing on the website my new website that's going to release shortly hopefully maybe next week or the week after and that will be for next October so it's definitely going to be happening then and because I've already started the the horror screen 
script now. It's definitely going to be ready for next October. So it's silver linings or author linings as I call them. So the other event that I had on over the, that weekend was the Squibby West 20th anniversary. So if you listen to the podcast, you will know I am a children's and young adult fiction writer and Squibby is the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. It's an organ, it's a worldwide organization and one that I've been part of for the last seven years. Well, Squibby West is the chapter that I'm part of living in Perth, Western Australia and it's been going for 20 years. So it was a celebration at Clancy's Fish Pub which was in Fremantle and it was yeah it was lovely just to catch up with everybody and hear how they've prog- how they progressed pretty much over the years and there was loads of photographs and it was funny seeing you know young young squibbies who I've known for a while and uh, yeah it was wonderful and uh, they also announced me as the new social media coordinator and newsletter editor for Squibby West so you might be laughing right now thinking oh she's just let go of all these things how's she gonna do that <laughs> this is the first thing my husband said but you know this is this is an organization I'm absolutely honored to be even asked to do this and uh, put my hand up for it also and yeah I've been looking forward to giving back I think it's going to be a great opportunity um, especially for writing in this uh, genre and uh, yeah just to learn from some great people also so I hope I can do the role justice big shout out to Cindy Lane again um, who was the uh, social media coordinator prior to me and also Rebecca Newman the newsletter editor who They've been doing these roles, you know, volunteer roles for the past between four and two years and they've just done a fantastic job. So it is taking on a different direction. The committee are doing that. So more to obviously I'll I'll learn that as it comes. So now we're in November. I am not taking on any more writing projects for the rest of the year. That's me. I wouldn't say done with writing. Uh, I probably will still tinker with the horror script, but I'm not starting any new projects or trying to apply for anything else. I'm just taking on nothing else new in that sense. I am I am focusing on positioning myself and my author business and my workflow for better results in 2023 and to be ahead of the game next year. Just a bunch of admin basically which involves getting everything up to speed, setting up systems and just being good to go in the new year and I feel really good about this. This is something that I just need to be on top of so and it's just come about with having a lot on my plate and then taking on new stuff and finding a way of doing things and going forward. So if you love the podcast or any of the episodes has helped you further in your author career, you can now pay it forward by buying me a coffee over at www.buymeacoffee.com slash the hybrid author. And that link is always on the social media posts for the episodes. Or you can leave me a review on whatever platform you listen to the podcast on to help other writers like you discover the podcast. Let's all support each other. So that's enough from me. Let's crack on with the episode. Peter Quarry is a multi-award winning psychologist whose 1,000 plus video-based training programs are used by companies, universities and organisations in over 20 countries. He was resident psychologist on Good Morning Australia for seven years and is a sought-after public speaker. Today, Peter's putting himself on the couch to talk about his debut release, If I Were You, a fascinating and original book where Peter skillfully deconstructs his own life, showing you too can unpack and reboot yours. Fantastic. Welcome to the Hybrid Author Podcast, Peter. Hi, how are you, Joanne? 
I'm well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Total pleasure. Uh, Well, we're absolutely dying to know more about the new book, but please tell us, who is Peter Quarry from today's Peter to back in the day? Have you got three hours just for that question? Um, Maybe. Look, uh, uh, look, as you you said in the intro, I'm a psychologist. I was um, born in Germany. I lived for a number of years in Europe in my youth. I I went to school in in Rome, actually, for for four years um, as an adolescent, which was a lot of fun. I came back to Australia when I was 17. I went to Melbourne University, studied philosophy and psychology, worked as a counsellor for a number of years before moving more into the kind of corporate training and education area and then made videos, which you've already referred to, did a stint on TV. And uh, I retired at 50. I decided to go to art school to do something completely different, which was great because it was a sort of different type of creativity. And then in my early 60s, decided to write a book, which is what uh, what I guess I'm here to talk about. So yeah. I've had a a great career, a great run, and uh, uh, but basically, I've been in the business of helping people live better, more successful lives. Yeah, fantastic. Well, it sounds like you're very creative, and you've done a lot. So, is is that why you got into psychology in the first place? It was more for helping people, or was there um, no? That? The, the truth is, I actually started off doing law. I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at university, but and people said, "Look, you're a smooth talker. Why don't you become a lawyer?" And so I enrolled in law, but I didn't really like it. it, it too detailed and too finicky for me. And uh, look, it was the seventies, you know, an age of exploration, and so. So I kind of studied psychology and philosophy, um, which were really interesting. But after a couple of years at university, I thought, well, I don't really want to become a philosopher. There's not a lot of jobs around for that. Maybe I'll become a psychologist. So I kind of really fell into it. But I'm glad I did because it was it was really fascinating. I mean, and continues to be fascinating. I mean, what can be more fascinating than people? Exactly. That's it. And where did the TV come in? Was it an opportunity that came around or was that something you um, yeah, well, wanted to get well, into? Well, I, I've been running workshops and training programs for many years. So I developed a whole lot of psychological content. And then I set up a company with a, a woman called Eve Ash, a Melbourne, another Melbourne psychologist, to make training videos where I basically translated my content that I delivered live onto camera in videos. And I was the on-screen presenter. And after many years of doing that in the late 80s, Bert Newton was just starting his lunch uh, a lunchtime show, which then became his morning show, Good Morning Australia. And they found me, they were after a psychologist who had on-screen experience. And there's not very many of us. And he trialed me out and he liked me. And that's why I ended up doing that geek for seven years, which was amazing because at any one time, there, were, there was a minimum of a quarter of a million people watching and listening. And I realized what a powerful opportunity that was to to share some of my knowledge and wisdom with, with a very large audience. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And and doing, like you said, doing video back then as well, it wasn't probably really heard of. So yeah, no, that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. So tell us where, was it from these videos and the content you created for over, you know, a massive career that yep. this is where the book evolved from or it's just completely different because you've turned you've turned inward really well, look, uh, look, a, a bit of both, to be honest with you, Joanne. You know, I got to a certain age, my early 60s, where I guess, you know, reflecting on your life becomes uh, something that you want to do. You want to try and make sense of what happened. I read somewhere that somebody described this as the age of the memoir. 
And, you know, everyone seems to be wanting to write a memoir, often to pass on the family history to those who follow. You know, it's kind of a record of what's happened. But what I realised very soon is that there's actually a mental health benefit that comes from writing about your past, particularly if you've had trauma in your past, for example, living through a pandemic. When you look at how people benefit from writing about their past, the people who do best from that don't just describe what happened. They do another level, which is they unpack, they try to interpret, they try to make sense of. So the the people who do best from writing about their past tend to use certain expressions in their writing, expressions like, it now makes sense to me that dot, dot, dot. Or when I join the dots throughout my life, I now realize this dot, dot, dot. Or what I've come to understand and learn about myself reflecting on my past is dot, dot, dot. So What I was interested in is these two levels of memoir writing, not just describing what happened, you know, I got married and then I moved here and then I had this job, but also going deeper to try and make sense of it. So the core idea of my book was to explain how to do this, how to do what's called the life review, how to both describe and unpack your life. So I wanted to explain how to do it but then also demonstrate it by doing it on myself. Hence, the subtitle is A Psychologist Puts Himself on the Couch. Wow, that's incredible. Really, really a lot there. So it sounds like this type of style of writing, it's really cathartic, reflective, which is a good topic to talk about, obviously, coming up to the end of the year. And it's something I'm trying to do more in my life is look back and actually appreciate the things that I have been doing. And I think not a lot of people do. But sometimes the past for people can be a sore subject, I suppose. Like you said, yeah, I've, I've had some experience with reflective writing, but I didn't realise at the time. First YA fiction book, which will never see the light of day as I write um, children's fiction. I realised at the end of it, it was pretty much just a, I said fictional because it was characters changing names, but just a retelling of my adolescence and uh, felt so much better after I had written that. And I felt like I could move on from that time in my life. (laughs) But yeah, it wasn't for publication. So Well, well, it's it's interesting that you say that, Joanne, because I I think a lot of people are kind of interested in doing this. They kind of intuitively know that this is something that would be benefit of benefit to them, but often they don't know how to do it. Hence, my book explains how to do it. But I think often people are a bit scared of how to, of doing it as well. In fact, I was a guest at the Williamstown Literary Festival a couple of months ago where I was talking about my book, and there was a guy in the audience who asked a question. He said, look, I really want to do what you're talking about, but I'm scared that somebody might find it and read it. Yeah. And I don't know where this comes from, but my response to him was, are you scared that somebody else might read it or are you scared that you might read it yourself. And he stopped for a second. He said, you're absolutely right. So I think a lot of people have this kind of fear of doing this exercise, what might come up. But all I can say is from my own, both as a psychologist, but also from my own personal experience as a human being, I found that an extraordinarily rich, interesting, useful uh, exercise. I mean, I got a lot out of it personally, which is why I feel so passionate about trying to encourage other people to do it. So the book is almost should be used like a tool for people wanting to reflect on their life and write about it. But with that, is it more for themselves or in the public light or? Well, either. either. I mean, if you want to do this as an exercise just for yourself, fine, all well and good. If you want to do it because you, you need some help writing a memoir that you think about it, that you want to get published, that's fine as well. So all of the above. 
Yeah, oh, fantastic. Well, please uh, tell us about the book. You know, I snagged a, a, a bit of the blurb and that's what the title of the episode yeah. is, Makeouts. I love it. Making peace with the past and re-energizing for the future because I think that resonates with a lot of people. So, you know, tell us tell us what's behind this statement and a bit more, well, a bit more well, of the book. So as I said, I describe how to go about breaking your life down into a number of what I call eras. I give instruction about how to, to write it, how to build in dialogue, how to build in, you know, little stories that kind of add uh, excitement and, and, and sparkle to the writing. But really, I guess what I'd like to tell you most about Joanne is the what I see as the benefits of doing this. And I think there are really three overall benefits. First of all, this is really an opportunity for you to make peace with your past. And let me give you an example from my own life where, where I did this myself. I had, as I think I indicated in the introduction, a pretty crazy childhood. My father died when I was two. My mother, who was German and who, who really now I realized had post-traumatic stress disorder because she had lived through the Second World War in Germany before coming to Australia to marry my father. She didn't really know whether she wanted to stay in Australia or go back to Europe. We spent most of my childhood traveling backwards and forwards. She then met met an Italian, which is why we ended up in Italy. So my childhood was very, very crazy. For a long time, even as an adult, I carried with me this kind of resentment, this residual kind of sense of being a bit of a victim. You know, why did my father have to die? Why couldn't somebody else's father die? Why did I have to have the crazy mother, etc, etc, etc? When I did this exercise, when I wrote this life review of myself, of my own, I asked myself a question. Is there another way of looking at your childhood that will result in you feeling different about it? Not so much angry, not so much of a victim, not so much feeling bad about it. And the reality is there is another way of looking at it. And that is, what did I gain out of that? What did I, what did I learn out of that crazy childhood? And in fact, what I realized is that I gained two terrific life skills, resilience which is the ability to bounce back from adversity and adaptability, which obviously is the ability to cope with change. I have those two skills in abundance and they are a direct result of the childhood that I had. So now, instead of feeling bad about my childhood, I actually feel grateful that I had it. So that's an example of a particular skill called narrative editing, which is changing the story that you tell yourself about your life. And that is something that I, I mean, The funny thing is your listeners may very well say, it took you 60 plus years to realize that. The answer is yes. I'm sorry. I'm a human being. I'm not perfect. At least you realize that. I'm sure some people go on longer and they never look back or they, you know, they go to the grave, you letting these negative feelings rather than doing what you're saying, which is. Absolutely. So, so, so the the first benefit really for me of doing this exercise is being able to make peace with your past. A second benefit is that you really learn a lot about yourself doing an exercise like this. You increase what we psychologists call self-awareness. Now there is a mountain of psychological evidence that shows that when you increase your self-awareness, you tend to have better relationships, you, you're a better student, you're more successful at work, you lead more productive teams, etc, etc, etc. So it is a very good thing to do that. And when you, I mean, once again, let me give you, give you an example. When I wrote about my life, and I looked at 
a number of different aspects of my life, I could see a pattern that I'd never really quite identified before. And the pattern was that I'm actually a pessimist. But I have a particular type of pessimism called inaccurate forecasting. In other words, I tend to predict that negative things are going to happen in the future. And I, when I saw this, I realized that it explained why I fell into a particular funk in my late 30s after a long-term relationship had split up, because I thought I'd never meet anyone again. I mean, which was ridiculous, but I was an inaccurate forecaster. I'm actually a shocking hypochondriac. As soon as I have a little pain, I always think I'm about to, you know, develop cancer or, yeah. you know, yeah, not, not alone there. <laughs> um, you know, but, but, but it goes further. When I look at how I invest my money, I'm always down the risk adverse end of the scale because I always think there's just about to be a crash. So I've realized, you know, I've joined all the dots and I've realized that I've I've got this tendency towards pessimism. And the third benefit of having a life review is that you can actually think a little bit more about the future. What I do now is I try to catch myself when I'm being pessimistic and realize that this is not reality. It's just the way I tend to automatically think. So I think, you know, doing this exercise can help you, as I say, make peace with the past, increase your self-awareness and get re-energized and be more positive about the future. Yeah, that's it. And there's a lot of questions raised up from everything you just said there. Uh, mainly, I guess people, like you said about people are reluctant to do these things because uh, my initial thought is when you start to look back or you start to sort of self-analyze, it's it's maybe a different version of you see of yourself or, and, and people might think it, it's going to raise negative emotions rather than positive ones. But what you're saying is obviously identifying those, identifying patterns and then thinking of what good has come of them. Like you said, your resilience and um, yeah. so almost turning the negative into the positive. What I would say to anyone listening, Joanne, is don't be scared. Yeah. Don't be scared of doing this. I mean, doing this, you know, surely being more self-aware, understanding ourselves, knowing who we are is a good thing. You know, we are the I mean, we are the only entities in the universe that are capable of self-reflection. You know, I mean, I've got a, a cup of tea in front of me. The cup of tea cannot reflect on its existence. You know, my dog cannot reflect on its existence. That you we- know of. <laughs> Well, that's well. I, you know, I'll I'll bet my bottom dollar. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's capable of sensation, so but not reflection in the sense of how's my life going. Yeah. You know, you know, what did I do ten years ago that's impacting how I am now? And my dog is not capable of knowing that. You know, I work best. I now realise that I work best in two or three hour blocks, or I work best in the morning than the afternoon. My dog is probably doesn't have an inner voice which is critical and saying no you can't do this which you need to challenge and change so that's what I mean by becoming more self-aware and surely that's a good thing oh definitely and then do you feel people of all ages this works so you don't have to have had a a fruitful life to go back on it I'm sure you can address these at all different stages yeah I mean look if you're 10 years old probably you're a little young to do this exercise but I mean it's very interesting Uh, apparently Prince Harry who's in his late 30s is coming out with a memoir later this year and I was very interested to read now I haven't read the book myself but I was very interested to read about it and apparently he doesn't just want to describe what is happening he also wants to see what can be learnt from that experience so he's once again looking at those two levels which I'm talking about so you know good on him yeah that's it well it sounds like do you read a lot of memoir as well before you kind of tackled your own 
to see the I, style? Uh, I do like uh, memoirs and, and biographies and, and auto, uh, you know, biographies and autobiographies. That's true. But look, it was it was a very interesting experience writing it because, I mean, I've certainly written lots of, you know, booklets, uh, you know, professional type of things, but I'd never done anything like this before. I think the biggest thing about writing or any creative thing is your internal critic that's saying this is no good or, you know, no one's going to like this, no one's going to read this and what have you. And I used a little trick, which I recommend, that when I started this, I said to myself very, very clearly, I am not going to try and publish this. This is for me. I'm just doing this as a as a kind of personal development exercise. And, you know, every now and then I'd have these little fantasies of the book being on the New York Times bestseller list and, you know, the T-shirts and the mugs and everything. But I tried as much as I can to resist that temptation. And that was good because it kind of got me started. And it was really only about half or two thirds of the way through the book. When I read back what I'd written, I thought to myself, no, I do want to try and get this published because I really do believe this will help people not just to write their own memoirs, but also also to help them to make sense of their own lives. Yeah, and make peace, like you said, with the past. That's Correct. incredible. Loads of questions again coming at me from, from all that. So obviously you said yourself you've written a lot of work material things yeah. and how did you set about writing this kind of style? Of, okay, so... so did you, Any formal training or you just went no, for it, like you no, said? No, no, no formal training at all. I was actually on holiday when the idea hit me and I, I was sort of thinking, you know, I'm, I'm at the age where I should write a book and I've been reading a little bit about the psychology of ageing and how the, the idea of reviewing your life and passing on wisdom to others is something that's really important. And I was thinking, yeah, you know, I could write about my life and see if I could extract some learning that I could share with others. But the issue was, how would I do it? What is the device that I would use? And in a flash of inspiration, the the device came to me, and that is I split myself into two parts. So there is Pete, who is the kind of slightly wild drug, sex and rock and roll, grew up in the 70s uh, (laughs) character who wants to do his who wants to do a life review, who wants to look back over his life and make sense of it. And then there's PQ, which are my initials, Peter Quarry. And PQ is this psychologist with 45 years experience, who's made thousands of videos, who used to be on television, blah, blah, blah. So I split myself into two personas, two two entities, if you will. And the device that I used is a series of letters backwards and forwards. So letter one in, in summary form is Pete writes to PQ and says, hi, PQ, I'm thinking of doing a life review. So letter one was Pete writing to PQ and saying, look, I want to review my life. Will you help? Letter two is PQ writes back to Pete and says, okay, that sounds like an interesting idea. Why do you want to do that? Letter three is Pete writes back to PQ. Well, the reason I want to do this is so. So it's actually a dialogue between Pete and PQ, which are different parts of me. And as soon as I came up with that device, it just made absolute sense because we used to use this device as as when I worked as, as a therapist in the 70s. If you had a person who was conflicted about something, you'd you'd get them to imagine a conversation with the different parts of themselves. It was called the two-chair technique. So it really made a lot of sense to me. And also I realized that it was a great way to overcome procrastination because I do tend to be a procrastinator. (laughs) And one of the best ways of overcoming procrastination is to break 
the big, horrible, hard, difficult, challenging, overwhelming task, you break it down into a number of segments or slices. So these letters, in a sense, became slices or segments. And so I would tell myself, every day, I'm just going to write one letter. So if I felt like writing a lot, I'd write sort of several pages. And if I didn't, I'd just say, that's very interesting. What do you think? And that would be the letter. So it was a a great device that worked for me and also helped with procrastination. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I I think that, again, looking in to know how you work, uh, your writing process and and what works and what doesn't for you is is great. And also what you said before, uh, your your tip about getting started, it's it's almost removing all the the blocks that are in the way about, because, and I'm the same, when you you sit down, you want to write, you want to write the most amazing bestseller, the best thing ever, that immediately shuts you off because- It it's is, a killer. It it's is. just it's just it's just gonna kill you stone cold dead. Best thing is just to start writing for you. For yourself. Um, yeah. The other tip, if you're you know, which is probably pretty obvious, and I'm sure many of your listeners know this, I realized that I needed to keep a little notepad with me at all times. Like if, all the time. Because I'd be in bed or I'd be in the shower, or I'd be walking on the beach or I'd be wherever, and I'd remember something, or I'd think of a particular point and I'd write it down because my memory is hopeless. Yeah. I party too much in the seventies. <laughs> and if I don't write it down, I forget it. So that was a really crucial part. But I found it much to my amazement. I mean, I've written a lot of stuff before, not whole books, but as I say, psychology. And I've always found writing, oh, it's like taking extracting blood from the stone. Strangely, I can't explain it. I found this book incredibly easy to write. It just poured out of me. Sounds like you just had a lot to say about a certain subject. And like you said, the reason for it was imparting wisdom, I guess, and then showing it in a way that is going to yeah. you know, be helpful to others. So would you suggest as well on what you said prior about the dialogue? And I love that. I love how, and I I am the same. I feel I'm different from the, the child I was to the teenager, to yeah. my 20s, to now. Uh, yeah. There's many, many Joanne Morels and different names and stuff so would you suggest looking back even the person you are today to look back to say to all your different variants of yourself you know what wisdom what would I have wanted to tell that person then what advice could I have given them maybe from the present to past rather than past to present, I suppose. Well, well, you could do it either way. That's very <laughs> yeah. interesting. Look, look, the, the device of splitting yourself into a number of, of parts is one that's got, you know, infinite possibilities. And as you say, you know, you could, you could have me in my 20s, me in my 30s, me in my 40s, me in my 50s, not that you're in your 50s, but um, the, the outgoing me versus the introverted me, the successful me versus the unsuccessful me, the, the critical versus the undercover. I mean, it, it, the, the possibilities are endless. And the idea of these characters who are all you writing to each other is really quite an interesting idea. I have an interesting challenge, though, with with my two characters, Pete and PQ, who are both me. They're both parts of me. I'm just about in the week after next starting the recording of an audio book. Because oh, yep. I managed to get uh, uh, an audiobook publisher uh, to, to go with it, which is great. I was wondering whether I should use a different voice between Pete and PQ just to help differentiate them. And I've decided not to because I just don't know that I'm a good enough actor and I don't know whether <laughs> I can sustain it. You know, sometimes yeah. not a good idea to get too tricky with these things. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I was contemplating that just by way of kind of giving each of them a slightly different voice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd love to hear Pete from the 70s. He sounds like fun. <laughs> oh, he was a lot of fun. He was great. <laughs> Oh, I think in, in fact, in fact yeah. it's interesting, Joanne, because from, 
from the feedback that I've got from people who have read the book, that one of one of the constant themes is I really liked Pete. PQ, nah, but Pete <laughs> was a lot of fun. <laughs> but then they wouldn't have a book without PQ, so <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but then exactly. they wouldn't probably wouldn't have the storylines without you know the people exactly. in the seventies. So you, you need, need you need them all. Yeah, no, yeah. I absolutely get that. So you know, you talk about uh, you touch upon toolkits uh, to confront curveballs in the book. What's what's that kind of relating to? Oh, look, I've got a whole lot of different tools. I mean, I've, I've tried to draw on all the little bits and pieces that I've taught over the years. You know, the list is enormous. You know, I mentioned already the idea of challenging the story that you tell yourself, the idea of, you know, how to overcome procrastination. So there's really a whole bunch of tips and tools. Mm -hmm. What I really, really want to talk about, which I think is terribly important, is the whole idea of marketing and publicity. I mean, writing the book, God knows writing the book is hard enough. What I have learned, and this I've learned this, Joanne, even before I wrote a book, when I had my business making videos, what I learned and it's a hard, hard, hard lesson to learn, is that however much time and energy and money you spend developing your product, whether it's videos, whether it's paintings, whether it's a book, whether it's, you know, bicycles or, you know, cookers on that, you know, mm-hmm. you put on your stove, you have to spend the same amount of time, energy and money in the marketing and promotion. Because just because you've created a product, whether it's a what this or that, it's sitting on the shelf, no one knows about it. You've got to spend the same amount of time. And this is a hard, hard, hard lesson to learn. And I want to stress it to your listeners that this is something that they need to think about. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that just because you're a good writer, you might write a brilliant book, doesn't mean you're a good marketer and promoter. I mean, it's a different skill set, but it's something that you have to do because otherwise your book will just sit on the shelf. That's it. And I don't, you know, it's something that I would tell people as well. So even even whether you're self-published or traditional published um, or hybrid as both, as soon as the book's out there, I just think people should think, uh, you know, nobody cares about this book from obviously friends and family. So, or no, Nobody can see this book. How can I make people see this book and just well, tackle it that look, way? Absolutely. And look, it, you know, it even goes, even to go back a step before we talk about the promotion, even the editing is really crucial. I mean, I, I'll tell you a little story. I was at a literary festival recently and a woman came up to me afterwards. She bought my book and she wanted me to sign it, which I was very happy to do. And she said, look, I've written a book. Can I contact you sometime to discuss it with you? And I said, absolutely. And I gave her my number. Anyway, she phoned me. Actually, strangely enough, she's in WA as well. She phoned me. And to cut a long story short, she'd written a memoir about herself. She'd had a very challenging life and she'd written uh, this memoir. And I said to her, and she she didn't know what the next step was. And I said to her, look, you need to get it edited. And she said, I have got it edited. I said, who edited? She said, friends. I said, look, I was really in two, two minds because I didn't want to burst her bubble. But at the same time, I felt this woman needed a dose of reality. And I said, look, friends are not the people to edit your book because A, they're probably not editors. And B, even if even if they do have some skill in this area, they're going to be reluctant to tell you the truth if the truth is bad news because they're friends of yours and they don't want to upset you. They don't want to you know challenge you. They don't want to rock the boat. You need to get a professional editor and you need to pay professional 
editor to business. Professional editors don't do this for free. You need yeah. to pay to get a proper editor. And she was re- very reluctant to do that. Okay, that's her decision, her choice. So editing is critical. And then getting it published, okay, is another is another step. But then the promotion is absolutely critical. I mean, I hired a publicist, which cost me 5000 bucks, which is not cheap. And she worked for, the contract was for four months. And she tried to get me lots of kind of media and what have you. It was hard because, you know, the media, there's so much competition for space in the media nowadays. So unless, you know, you're a Prince Harry or what have you, it is very, very hard. Yeah. Or uh, Reese Witherspoon, who's just released her children's book. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, but, it, you know, for the rest of us, it is it is very hard. Um, so having a social media presence is absolutely essential. When my book was doing the rounds of publishers, I spoke to one woman at a, a major publishing house, which I will not reveal for obvious reasons. And she said to me, look, I loved your book, Peter. I was very taken by it, her words. And I said, great. I said, so you're going to go with it? She said, I can't go with it because it's not my decision. Like mm. 30 years ago, it would have been my decision. The book, would, you'd already have signed a contract. Nowadays, the decision is a committee of which I am one member and the other members of the committee are the accountants and the marketing people and the, you know, the, the number crunches and so on. And one of the first questions they ask is, who is this guy? Where is he on social media? So if you don't have a social media presence, it is very, very hard, even if you've written a terrific book. Mm. And I think uh, past guest I've had, uh, he, he's a soon-to-be author of books coming out next year. He's the podcast host of The Reluctant Book Marketer is in the US. And he he says, like, even though his books are not out, this, this is you can still start um, to promote yourself, even though, you know, your book's not ready there. Just get out there and absolutely, start. A- absolutely. Mm. And I, I guess another tip that I would give, and, you know, once again, I, I know I'm probably being depressing to people, but I, I think it's important that they realise the reality. That's honest, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is, this is hard. if you do get offered a deal, don't try and be too greedy about it. I mean, let me tell you this one story. A friend of a friend of a friend approached me because she had written a book and she she wanted some advice and she had been approached by a small publisher. And anyway, this publisher offered her a deal and uh, part of the deal was 10% of any TV sales of the book. Now, she rejected the deal because she felt 10% was too low. And she told me about it. And I, I went mental. I said, are you out of your mind? <laughs> first of all, if anyone, this is her first book. If anyone is offering you a deal, grab it. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're Reese Witherspoon or Prince Harry, grab the deal. Secondly, if somebody, if, if, if your book does well enough to be turned into a TV show. You know, this is sensational. Don't worry about only getting 10%. I mean, I learned a very important rule in business many years ago. 90% of nothing is nothing. You know what I'm saying? So don't be too greedy. If someone's offering you a TV deal, grab it with open arms. That's it, because I suppose even though you look at that 10% TV deal, and I guess whatever, uh, so is that like, when you say a TV deal, is that is a book being sold to the TV, or is, well, are well, they that, talking that, about it on there? Well, because... that would that would presumably be you know if the book if the book did well enough that it could be translated into some sort of TV or online or mm. some sort of other medium. And usually, just a, a publisher will offer you different percentages on different elements. So you know, it, for a book, you might get ten percent. You know, for an audio book, you might get five percent, for example. So the different media 
media through which the book mm. is actually published. Yeah. Or I guess you've got to think about what opportunities would come from that over the 10% with that exposure oh, being out there you know maybe thinking about it and that absolutely. yeah oh like, so what what happened in the end <laughs> i don't i don't know well she well she she sort of a little bit precious about the deal and the publisher ended up withdrawing the offer so the book is now not published so you know i i think she was re- i think she made a huge mistake because she was too greedy you know particularly if you're a first-time author be glad if it gets published i've just got this deal which i've just signed with this company to produce the audiobook the split between me and and them is is not in my favor. Hey, I'm just glad to get the book published as an audiobook. This particular company will distribute it globally and they also most importantly they market and promote. They do a mm. lot of work in that area. Most publishers don't do much. They rely on the author to do the publicity. And yeah, they don't yeah. get, you know, they're, they're essentially order fillers. So, you know, don't be too greedy. Be glad, be, you know, especially if you're a first time, be glad that you're getting any deal. Yeah, I think as a first time author, for sure, obviously don't be ripped off. But yeah, to, to get yourself out there, definitely. 90%, 90% of nothing is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, yeah. Well, you've already shared so much, Peter, uh, in the way of writing and, you know, publishing and promoting and things. Is there anything else you want to add to that topic that you have? Oh, uh, look, I. I hope I'm not coming across as too negative and pessimistic. Well, maybe no, I'm, not at all. Because I'm a pessimist. It, it, it's a hard gig to get into, but the, there is a huge benefit in writing your book. If you have a book in you, there is a huge benefit in just getting it down, even if it doesn't see the light of day, even if no one else reads it. Just doing it is a wonderful experience. That's and amazing. I'm a great believer in my, my life history has taught me this, and that is that even if you go from A to B, well, from B, who knows what a C is or what a D is? You know, you never know what if you move to another place where that might take you. So I don't want to discourage people from having a go. I don't want to, you know, say that it's an impossible task. I mean, when I wrote my my book, I had no idea whether I was going to get it published. And it took me the best part of a year to get it published. And I got lots of no's along the way, which were pretty depressing. But eventually I got a deal and and, and here I am now being able to tell yeah. the tale. How uh, um how long did it take you to write the book? You said it just sort of poured out of you. Was it, it... Took, it took about 15 months. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I think yeah. most, sorry, cut you off there. I think most oh. people, well, maybe not so much first time authors, but as, as you, like you said, as you start to to write books put them out there you get rejected you start to realize yeah okay this is this isn't an easy industry it is going to take a lot longer and I think you know dedication determination they're all traits that are good to have but I think especially with your book and maybe people should keep it in mind it's quite a specialized book as well that and, and also just because and I say this all the time even though you get a no a rejection from a publisher you know it's a no it, it's a not right now it's not a no because for many That's many right. reasons and it's not to do with the work or your yourself it's That's to do right. with their list yeah and look certainly this the self you know i describe my book as a hybrid self-help memoir the self-help space is is a very competitive space i mean everyone's writing a book of how to do this and how to do that yeah. what have you i guess i guess you, you asked me any final advice I, I guess i'd go back to the marketing because that is so I, I don't want to give so much advice about how to write a book because no. everyone's book is different but the the marketing that is really the thing and I would encourage people to think about you know how can they get publicity for example here I am with you you know on this podcast um, you need to also think about 
having little blurbs about your book, you know, little marketing blurbs that you can send out, having good quality pictures that you can send out because you've got to, you've got to put yourself in the mind of the media, you know, the podcast interviewer or the newspaper interviewer or whoever. What is it that they want? So they want good talent, somebody who can speak clearly about the book. They want something written, but something short and punchy that they can use. If they don't have a lot of time, they don't want to edit. They want it short and punchy. If they ask you for a blurb, always say, how many words do you want? And then stick to that. So, you know, think about uh, generating material that you can use in the marketing and publicity. And of course, social media. Look, I don't know anything about social media. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in it. I hate it. But social media is the name of the game. Yeah. And obviously, a lot of your your listeners will be well and truly up with that. Use it, milk it, pump it out, build up those followers, build up those likes, because that is absolutely crucial. Yeah, it's, it's a tough thing. And what's interesting as well is like, obviously, you are traditionally published for, for the work. So and, and I just love how pro active your mindset is about it you know it's you haven't sort of thought oh a lot of people think they go traditionally published because they expect the publisher to do everything but yeah. i think in these Forget days it. it's Forget not really it. the they case don't. is it they don't they don't <laughs> yeah. do anything all they do is take orders yep Okay, so that's all they do. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my publisher. I don't want to say anything bad, but no. that's, the book's on their website apparently, and you know they'll. But they don't do anything by way of promotion. And in fact, what they do is they're very clear, expecting the author to do that. Yeah. So you have to think about how you do that, what your strategy is. As I said before, I had a publicist who was very, very helpful, but you know it costs a lot of money, and not everyone has money to burn like that. So. Yeah. So if you can't afford a publicist, then you have to do it yourself. You know, what this means is, for example, having a one sentence description of what your book is about that is compelling, that when people hear, they're going to go, oh, wow, that's interesting. Tell me more. So you've got to think there about what is the essence of your book that, you know, what is it all about? And what is it all about that is different from every other book? Because there's a million books out there. So you've got to sort of stand out from the crowd. So, you know, once you've written the book or even while you're reading the book, have this other parallel piece of work that you're doing, which is thinking about how you're going to get it out there. Mm. And, you know, if you're writing a cooking book, for argument's sake, think about doing some cooking events, build up a reputation as a person who does this particular type of cooking that you're writing about. So that when you've published, when you've written your book and you're looking at published, you've already established yourself as an expert in the field. You know what I mean? Yeah, So don't necessarily write the book and then start thinking about the marketing. Do it as a parallel process. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And just a question about the promoting. I've heard this before and it's maybe when should you stop promoting your book or should you just never, ever stop? Just even (laughs) even if you keep writing, writing more books, constantly always promoting your backlist at the same time? Well, you know, it depends whether you want sales to continue. I I think what happens is the minute you stop promoting, your sales drop off. Now, having said that, unless it sort of gets that kind of critical mass where it sort of feeds off itself. Now, if that's happening, you know, you're home and hose, but chances are for the vast majority of people, they're not even going to get there. I mean, if I can talk about my book, uh, it got released in February. There was kind of, you know, an increase, 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 increase. It sort of plateaued. And now it's starting to sort of drop off because I have not continued with my publicist because I don't want to pay $5,000 every every few months. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, certainly I've been attempting to do some promotion and marketing myself, but, you know, I've got other stuff in my life as well. And to be honest with you, it's boring. You know, (laughs) it's tedious. It's a drag. You approach all these people out of 10 people that you approach, nine don't even answer you. So it's hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 
Now, if you've written multiple books and you've got a backlist, half your luck, I wouldn't know. I'm not in that situation. Go ask somebody who's in that situation. (laughs) They'll be able to tell you. you Basically, can't stop unless, because the the numbers will drop off there. I'm hoping that the new audiobook deal that I've got, it's going to be released on the 1st of January. I'm hoping that that's going to kind of lift sales because that company markets and promotes. Yeah, I'm sure. Ask me in six months and I'll tell you whether that happens. Well, even just opening up the work to a whole new demographic that are just audiobook readers, like that's my favorite way of consuming books because I'm a busy working mother and I just, you do it on the go, but then I read print at night. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, that that is a good way to do it as well. Oh, fantastic. Well, please, Peter, I honestly, I've got, I could talk to you all day. I've got so many, (laughs) so many questions, but we will uh, release you, but please do tell us where can we find you know if i were you and yourself and all your work uh, you well, know on the, and offline then if you if you want to check me out uh, my website is peterquarry.com so that's uh, all one word p-e-t-e-r-q-u-a-r-r-y.com my book is if i were you a psychologist puts himself on the couch and it's available at most bookshops i mean not all of them but most bookshops around the country um, but certainly online with all the major online retailers and uh it's available, as I said before, as an ebook right now and uh, as a print copy. And uh, there'll be an audio version available from the 1st of January next year. Oh, that's amazing. Is this a series? Are we going to see some more in this? Uh, Look, to be honest with you, I, I have sort of been thinking about a second book. I, I Nothing's kind of really firmed up in my mind. And I think I need to see a little bit more clearly whether this first book really takes off before I, I mean, I know myself, you know, if this first book doesn't really kind of take off, I just know myself, I, I probably don't have it in me to write a second one. I'd like to because I do like writing, but I'm, I'm kind of in the grey zone. So no, nothing firm at this stage i mean i could lie to you and say yes i'm in the middle of writing it. it's a novel it's a three-part novel but i'd be i'd be lying so i don't want to do that to you yeah but no it's it's just interesting as well like to you you know you've written this book you've had that experience if it, you can look back you got lots from it because as yeah. you said it was a personal journey and yeah. uh, you get to share yeah. it with others and help others along the way that doesn't mean you want to spark off some big long author career with lots more you know exactly so, well nah, but, but you know look if all of a sudden it did end up on the new york times bestseller a list which is still a possibility <laughs> i'm sure i'd be motivated to start a second book immediately but yeah. um, i'll let you know when that happens you, you yeah. can have me on you can have me on again oh definitely <laughs> thank well thank you so much for your time and expertise it was absolutely fantastic all the tips you shared really really helpful so thank you total pleasure joanne So there you have it, folks, the truly eye-opening, wise and worldly Peter Quarry. And I can't wait to purchase more than one copy of Peter's book, as well as myself. I've got a few family and friends who will be receiving it under the tree this year. I hope you will join me in doing that too. Next time on the Hybrid Author Podcast, we have an almost Merry Christmas mashup. As I've taken the podcast weekly, the amount of guests needs to be split over two different episodes for me to do my yearly Merry Xmas mashup. And that's just snippets of all the guests that have come on and uh, wonderful moments. So I thought, let's do it one in November and one in December. I wish you well in your author adventure this next week. That's it for me. Bye for now. That's the end for now, authors. I hope you are further forward in your author adventure after listening, and I hope you'll listen next time. Remember to head on over to the Hybrid Author website at www.hybridauthor.com.au 
get your free offer pass. It's bye for now.